Hello and welcome to worship today. Today I would like to invite you all, no matter what is happening in your life right now, to put your burdens aside, take a deep breath, and be rejuvenated by God's Holy Spirit among us here. Later in this service, we will be hearing a faith story from psychology department chair, Julie Reese, who will be talking about the element of control or lack thereof in faith. But now I invite Brody Thomas for some songs. Please stand and turn to number six in the blue hymnal. Number six. Gather us in and make us your own. Gather us. 
Now turn to number 97 in the green book, Sing the Journey, number 97. turn back in the blue hymnal to page number 377. 377. Peace be on the field. 
seated. Next, we will be hearing from Julie Reese. Julie has a PhD in psychology and a master's degree in theology. She was out all last year due to breast cancer treatment, and one of her passions is teaching college students. Please help me welcome Julie. Good morning. <clears throat> to tell one's faith story seems rather straightforward, yet it is a very difficult task because there are so many people I should mention as integral to my growth as a Christian. So many details that, while not dramatic, seem critical to really unpacking my faith journey. Time does not permit such detailed retelling. Instead, I will focus on a general introduction to my early years and then highlight several instances that were significant turning points in my life. Moments when it was as if God grabbed me or smacked me in the face because I'm quite stubborn um, and showed me who I really am and taught me the importance of trusting in who he is and allowing God to mold me. These situations follow two themes. One I love, relationships with others, and the other I don't, not being in control. I was born in rural Goshen to a Mennonite family. My family was very active in church attending Sunday morning and evening and Wednesday evenings as well. I always went to vacation Bible school and faithfully attended youth group. <clears throat> Our belief in God was integral to all of life. We prayed before meals, had devotions in the evening, and sang hymns together. I saw faith lived out in my family. My parents shared stories about growing up and choosing not to respond in like kind when they were ridiculed or mistreated. My father registered as a conscientious objector in the late 1950s and received a lot of criticism from his high school peers. My parents prayed for people who mistreated them and often turned the other cheek. Their Christian faith motivated them to be kind and loving, which at times was at great personal cost. In my extended family, my aunts and uncles and grandparents were strong Christians. We also prayed together before meals and prayed for one another. My paternal grandmother was a prayer warrior, and when I would go to visit her, she would often say that she prayed every day for her more than 100-member family. My maternal grandfather was a Mennonite minister. He was raised Amish until his family left the Amish church to become Mennonite when he was eight years old. And just an, he was an interesting man. He only had an eighth grade education, but he was one of the most intelligent people I knew. And he also was chosen by lot when he was um, early 20s to be a Mennonite pastor. Not something you probably hear of very often anymore. When we got together as a family, stories recounted how my relatives would again choose to be loving instead of join in degrading talk or retaliate when others were berating. To me, being a Christian meant that you not only talked about being loving and being Christ-like, you showed it in your everyday behaviors. I attended Yellow Creek Mennonite Church, my father's home congregation, 
and was baptized at age 15. I didn't have a dramatic conversion experience, but it was a deliberate choice. My senior year of high school was a very difficult year for me, one in which, in hindsight, I suffered from depression. My closest friend had pulled away from me and was involved in some harmful activities. My youth pastor was a solid support for me during this time, even visiting our school during the lunch hour. He encouraged me spiritually and emotionally. I attended Goshen College with the hope that my life would be full of much more joy than was the case for my last year of high school. Unfortunately, although I loved my classes, the social end, mainly the dating, which I put way too much emphasis on at that point in my life, um, did not change dramatically. So I left Goshen College after one semester and moved to Ohio to live with my aunt and uncle. That summer, I was a counselor at Spruce Lake Wilderness Camp in the Pocono Mountains. That was a summer of real spiritual growth. I was far away from home and had to face some difficult situations with campers and counselors. I started to focus more on my relationship with God, spending time in prayer and Bible study. That summer, I also met my now husband, although we didn't officially date until several years later, but that's a whole different story that you can ask me about sometime. After graduating from Goshen College, Mick and I married in the summer of 1992 and moved to California three months later for me to pursue graduate studies in clinical psychology. While I often say jokingly that Mick and I nearly divorced on the trip to California, that is not far from the truth. Those early years of marriage were very rocky, filled with much misunderstanding, hurtful words, and finger pointing. And the truth is, I was the one causing most of the problems. However, in my mind, I knew what the problem was. Remember, I like to be in control. And that was that Mick needed to change, and I just needed to find a better way to convince him that he needed to change. Not a good way to, to um, be in marriage. One day, during a big verbal fight, he walked out on me and left in the car. I didn't know if he was coming back. And let me just say, my husband is the kindest, friendliest guy on the earth. Um, old and young alike adore my husband. Uh, he is very patient, fun-loving, and incredibly compassionate. He's a very strong Christian who's very committed to marriage. So when he walked out on me, I was no longer able to convince myself that all our marital problems were because of him. In tears, I started to pray, God, I don't know what to do. And to admit I didn't know what to do was to admit that I didn't know everything, that I was not in control. And that was one of my husband's biggest complaints, that I wanted to control everything. That was a major turning point in my life because my approach of wanting to be in control not only got in the way of my relationship with my husband, it also determined how I related to God. My trust in the Lord was limited by the reality that my life had pretty much gone as I had planned. No major bumps. No real need for me to make any major changes. 
at least not until this point. As we worked to strengthen our marriage, I confronted the reality that I was self-centered and controlling. And although being driven and organized and disciplined are really good qualities, I frequently put those qualities in front of my relationships. My to-do list often came before time with Mick, with others, and with God. Another significant point in my life was the birth of our second child, Kate. I started teaching here at Goshen College when Kate was only 10 weeks old. She was a very happy baby, but did not sleep well during those first six months of life. I often felt exhausted by the demands of teaching, a new profession for me, and the needs of a baby who awoke multiple times each night. I remember one night I was so tired and she was crying and wouldn't go back to sleep. For a moment, I felt like throwing her because I was so frustrated and that thought scared me beyond description because I would never want to hurt my children. I had prayed for months that God would make her sleep through the night because I desperately needed sleep. And anyone who's ever experienced sleep deprivation can appreciate what I'm saying. But in that moment, I realized that I could not control her sleeping patterns and God was not making her sleep like I desired. So I instead prayed that God would change me, would change my heart, instead of me demanding that my baby sleep. Kate did not immediately start sleeping, but I focused instead on changing my attitude and seeing what God wanted to teach me as I once again faced that I am not in control. The most recent chapter of my faith journey again involves something that was out of my control. On April 26, 2011, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. This was a complete shock. I have no family history of cancer, no behavioral risk factors, and I take very good care of myself. After the initial shock, I felt a real peace about it and assumed that it would be very treatable as most breast cancer, which is caught early, is. And just to put a little more context in this, I had had a mammogram just a month and a half earlier and my annual gynecological exam two months earlier. So I was really um, thinking it was not going to be a big deal. But I had a double mastectomy to remove the right side with the tumor and the left side to reduce the risk of local recurrence. What I wasn't prepared for was what followed the surgery. My tumor was composed of two types of breast cancer, estrogen progesterone positive and triple negative. <clears throat> triple negative was only identified 10 years ago. It tends to strike younger premenopausal women and without specific treatments to target it like they have for estrogen and progesterone positive it is twice as likely to return as other forms of breast cancer. When, when I visited my medical oncologist to talk about chemotherapy to hopefully prevent the return, even though they got all of the cancer, the tumor was removed, 
I was shocked to discover that without treatment, I only had 46% chance of being alive in 10 years. And with treatment, my probability of being alive is about 74% in 10 years. And those data terrified me. As one who believes that knowledge is power and more information is always better, I, for the first time, wondered whether I would have rather not have known those statistics. I went through five months of harsh chemotherapy, although I never really got sick. Thank the Lord. I heard many stories of um, other patients who would spend days on the floor beside the bathroom, vomiting, and having great difficulty. I also had 33 treatments of radiation. I lost all of my hair, including my eyebrows and my eyelashes. And it's hard to recognize your face when you don't have any facial hair. I felt God's hand upon me throughout my entire ordeal. From the caring and competent medical staff to the outpouring of cards, meals, and flowers from the church, from the New Paris community, which is where we live, the Goshen College community, and most importantly, my family. I literally had hundreds of people across the country praying for me. I continued to receive surprise blessings in many forms. People would pass me on the street, people I didn't even know, and would say they were praying for me. Patients complimented me on my lovely bald head, because you don't know what your head looks like without hair until you lose it. You know, you could have like veins and you know, dark spots, it's, 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 you know, it's a mystery until you don't have it. <clears throat> New relationships were formed with fellow patients. The slowing down that I had to do, even though I never got that sick, made me notice more of nature. I actually noticed I have beautiful flower beds, and most often I'm too busy to really bask in the beauty of my flowers. I noticed the goldfinches in our trees, the squirrels chasing one another. I also had very special moments with my husband and my girls. And if you wanna show, I have a few pictures, because I think it's kind of, it's more real when you see someone without hair. Um, as I said, I, I pretty much didn't felt, feel like I was a patient until I lost all my hair. And then I was like, yeah, I look like a cancer patient. This is me. Um, with my youngest daughter, Kate. This is my last day of chemotherapy, and I had wonderful staff over there, many of whom are Goshen College alums. There are good things about this place. Um, this is my good friend, Candy, who walked with me throughout my entire um, process. This is my, the best person of all, my husband. Um, he was wonderful. He was able to get off and uh, be with me every time I had a treatment um, in chemotherapy. And this is my oldest daughter, Callie. She is a runner, and um, we've kind of taken up uh, a new interest. We always go over now to South Bend for Walk for a Cure. And so this was the first time that we walked this 
in um, October of 2011. This group, um, this was, my girls shaved my head in late July because, again, going back to the control, I didn't want to wake up with my hair on my pillow. Um, so they shaved my head, and a lot of their friends wanted to get the pink hair in October for Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So this was, it's, the picture isn't um, detailed enough for you to see, but all of these smiling female faces have pink hair extensions in their hair. This is my medical oncologist, Dr. Saw, delightful person. And I did have fun. I had to have some fun because it's not very fun to be in treatment. So I wore this pink, you know, baby head ribbon um, on the last day of my chemo. And I think, yes, that's all. Okay. Although cancer is not a gift, the gift that I received from walking through this disease is the realization that I really don't know how long I will be alive. And I honestly never thought about that because at 42 years of age, when I've had grandparents live into their 90s, I'm pretty much thinking I'm not even halfway through my life yet. <clears throat> so there is only so much I can control and even when I really try hard to control what I can, like caring for my body, I am not assured of what life on earth will bring. I do have the assurance that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves all people. I'm assured that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ, as it says in Romans 8, 38 through 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to live each moment focusing on what has real value, cherishing time with family, marveling at God's creation, laughing and crying with others, listing with interest, and really caring for people. To take advantage of moments that are present each day that may not be in my control or in my plan, but to be a part of blessing others and being blessed by the special things that can happen when I trust God's overall plan as I learn to be at peace with the blessings that can happen and the growth that can come from being not in control. For our closing song, for our closing song, please turn to number 558 in the blue hymnal. Number 558. I'd like to welcome Jake Smucker who will accompany me on the piano.
Go in peace.